I invite you now to turn in your Bible to John chapter 6. John chapter 6. If you don't have a Bible, there are plenty under your seats or around the corner. That's our gift to you if you don't have one. The Gospel of John is the fourth book in the New Testament. The large numbers on the page are the chapter numbers. The smaller numbers are the verse numbers. We're going to be in the sixth chapter. We're going to begin in verse 35. John chapter 6, verse 35 through 40. is God's word. Jesus said to them, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me shall not hunger, and whoever believes in me shall never thirst. But I said to you that you have seen me and yet do not believe. But all that the Father gives me will come to me, and whoever comes to me I will never cast out. For I have come down from heaven, not to do my own will, but the will of him who sent me. And this is the will of him who sent me, that I shall lose nothing of all that he has given me, but raise it up on the last day. For this is the will of my Father, that everyone who looks on the Son and believes in him should have eternal life, and I will raise him up on the last day. Amen. As a preacher, this is, this is an easy text for me to preach. It's one not only that my own heart delights in, but then all of us as Christians and as a church should cherish very deeply. This is, friends, the gospel. If you're new to the faith or to church, or even if you've been around for a long time, and you're unsure or unclear about what the gospel really is, Jesus here makes it very clear. The Father has sent Jesus from heaven so that he may gain and never lose a chosen people. And that on the day of judgment, that people would not be condemned, but would be raised to life. Friends, that is good, good news. Jesus is preaching the gospel, and each Sunday when we gather, we remind ourselves of that same truth. In the last several weeks, we've been looking into the heart of Christ. And from the heart of Christ flows this good news of the gospel, that he has come from heaven to take sinners like you and me, bring them into his embrace, and raise them up on the last day. That there's a promise and an assurance that we have in Christ because the Father has sent the Son. And the Father has brought his people to the Son. And all those who have come to the Son will never be cast out from his love. That is good news. As I was thinking this week on the idea of being cast out, my mind naturally went to the idea of exile. Exile used to be a form of punishment. To be banished from the lands of the kingdom, your people and your nation no longer welcomed you into its barriers and its boundaries. Maybe we ought to exile more people these days, Josh. I don't know. But you can, for a moment, wonder what it feels like to be banished from somebody's company. Maybe you've experienced this when a friend has cut you off because of a mistake you've made or somehow have wronged them. Or maybe your family has disowned you 
Or maybe you've had to disown parts of your own family or friends. Maybe you've experienced some part of culture who once accepted you but now no longer does because of your faith. We understand sometimes the pain and the punishment that comes when somebody no longer offers the arm of fellowship and brotherhood. Exile was a form of punishment, and many Christians throughout the age have experienced what it means to be cast off or cast away from their places of refuge. Even the reformers themselves would hide themselves inconspicuously from others who would seek their life because of the gospel that they sought to recover. Friends, we may understand exile as a form of punishment, but it's also a part of the natural Christian life. Peter talks to us as if we're exiles, that our own home in which we were born, the world and our culture, no longer welcomes us as Christians. And so we go through the world as exiles. How is it then as exiles we're able to find hope and confidence though we wander? Well, it's that although we've been cast off and and shunned and no longer welcomed by one household of the world, we're welcomed by Christ. The promise in our verses this morning is that he will never cast us away. That is, he will never turn us away from his welcoming love. Those whom the Father has given to Christ to embrace will never be unembraced. By Christ. That confidence and that permanency of our embrace in Christ means that we then can go with confidence to the world as exiles. Last week we saw Christ is our high priest, and that the writer of Hebrews says we possess Christ as our high priest. That is, Christ is ours. He is our advocate and our sympathizer. He works for us as our high priest. We'll see that he intercedes always for us. Christ is yours, the writer of Hebrews says. Well, this week, Jesus and John reminds us that you are Christ's. Just as Christ is yours, Christian, you are Christ's. This is the fundamental idea that I I, I want us to grasp this morning. I want us to cherish this, that You are Christ. As a Christian who has put your hope and faith and trust in the merit of Christ and not in your own, in Jesus' work and not in your own, in the forgiveness He offers and not what you can provide for yourself, if you place your faith in Christ alone, you are His. The Scripture says that our life is hid in Christ on high. That is, in our union with Christ, we are part of who He is. We are covered by His blood. We pray in the name of Jesus. We are covered by the perfect work of Jesus' atonement. He is ours, and we are His. And thus the writer in the Song of Solomon would put it this way when referring to love, the ultimate picture of love, I am my beloved, and my beloved is mine. Union with Christ means not only that Christ is ours, but that you are Christ's. I want you to grasp and cherish 
that truth as a Christian this morning. This means that neither our sins nor our circumstances will ever violate the covenant of grace that Christ has established with us. His promise and His covenant with which He enters into relationship with us and by which we enter into relationship with Him cannot be violated or nullified by your sin. Cannot be violated or nullified by your circumstances. If you are in Christ, you cannot be cast off. If you are in Christ, if you have been united with Him by faith, you cannot become ununited with Christ. Nothing can violate the covenant of grace that Christ has established with us because Christ has established it in His blood. And His blood is perfect and sufficient, which covers all the multitude of our sins. It is not like that old covenant, which needed to have sacrifices made daily, yearly, by priests who themselves were imperfect. No, this new covenant of grace means that Christ establishes once and for all and perfects once and for all those who are being sanctified. That's sinners like you and me. So when Christ says that whoever the Father leads and brings to me will come to me, and whoever comes to me I will never cast out, he means that your union with Christ is inviolable, to use a fancy $10 word, it cannot be broken by your sin. If my child is in the middle of the street and a car is coming, I'm grabbing her arm and I'm dragging her to safety. She can kick and she can scream. She can bite me. She can say, I want the car. But nothing she does will ever stop me from loosening my grasp from bringing her to safety. When I swim with my four-year-old son, he's terrified of the water. He holds on to me, and I hold on to him. And nothing he can do will ever cause me to let go of him. That's the sort of union Christians enjoy with Christ. And when Jesus says that all who the Father brings to me will come to me, and all who come to me will never be cast out, that's the sort of rock-solid promise you should enjoy. That's what he means in John 6, verse 37. See, God's purpose to give eternal life through Jesus does not fail. And we see in the text two aspects of the way that our coming to Jesus is described here to demonstrate that Jesus never fails that his purposes in drawing us to salvation never fails. First, we see the hand and will of God the Father. Secondly, we see the heart and sufficiency of God the Son. These two aspects demonstrate that the promises of the new covenant are true. The hand and will of God the Father. That is, God leads and delivers his chosen people to Jesus. Look at the text again. Verse 35. When Jesus says, I am the bread of life, whoever comes to me shall not hunger, whoever believes in me shall never thirst. Verse 37, it says, that all that the Father gives to me will come to me. 
Verse 38, I have not come from heaven. I have come down from heaven, not to do my own will, but of one who have sent me. And this is the will, verse 39, that I shall lose nothing of the Father has given me. This is the promise of the, of the Father, the hand of the Father at work, that the Father leads and delivers his chosen people to the Son. That is true for every one of us in Christ. Think about your conversion and your experience as a Christian. How did you come to a saving knowledge and faith in Jesus? Did you intellectually come up with it? Did you satisfy all the answers you had about the Bible, about theology, about the nature of God's ontological existence? Have you exhausted every doubt you could ever have? Did you have complete and 100% certainty of who Jesus was? Or did God move in such a way in your heart where you saw Jesus as your Savior? You couldn't explain it. You fought it for some time. Your resistance was palpable. And then at some point, you trusted Christ. You gave up your resistance. The Bible describes that work of God's leading by the Spirit. We call it regeneration, where God saves a person by taking their heart and their disposition away from God, against God, loving sin, and changes it to see Christ for who He is, to see our sin for what it is, to see the beauty of the gospel for what it is, and shows us that it is irresistible to those who are being saved. See, the Father leads and delivers His people to Jesus, and He does this by a myriad of mercies all throughout our life. It may have begun in your childhood and carried on through your adulthood. It may have happened in several moments, distinct in your life, or it may have happened all at once. Whatever your history is as a Christian, you can be rest assured that the hand of the Father led you to Jesus when you first saw the gospel as beautiful. The Father will bring His people to the Son. All that the Father gives me will come to me. Notice that He says it's emphatic. All that the Father comes gives will come. If the Father brings you, you're coming to Jesus. He doesn't bring you to the doorstep and they'll tell you to go knock and ring the doorbell and wait 10 seconds and hopefully Jesus answers. He doesn't take you 99% of the way and tells you to walk the 1%. No, He brings you to Jesus and all who the Father brings will come. There's a certainty in the delivery of God the Father to God the Son. In other words, His leading is effective. God's purposes to save His people will not fail because God's leading, and guiding, delivering is effective. Because He gives them to Jesus, they come to Jesus. Because you were given to Jesus by the Father, you came to Jesus. We're not having a discussion now about God's sovereignty and human responsibility. I'm saying God brought you to Jesus and you came to Jesus. God brought you to an awakening of your manifold need for Jesus. He brought you then to Jesus, and you grabbed hold of him. And all that the Father brings will come to Jesus. All whom the Father reveals as needing Christ 
and for whom Christ is a perfect substitute and atonement for sin, will have that in Christ. That's the promise here of Jesus' words. So we see God's hand in his will. Notice it is the will of the Father who sent Jesus. That they come to Jesus because it is his will. We do indeed see the sovereign hand of God exercising authority and bringing his sons and daughters to the place of their salvation. It is his will. And by will, we don't simply mean a decree or a command or a decision. We mean a delight. We mean it is the affectionate delight of God. It is what he desires that his people would come to Jesus. And so he looks out on your life as a rebellious sinner. And he says, I love them. Their name is written on my Lamb's book of life. Their name is graven in my hand. I would lead them to Christ and they will come to Christ. That's the heart of the Father. So we see the will and the hand of God the Father in demonstrating this truth that the purpose to give eternal life through Jesus will never fail. But secondly, we see then the heart and the sufficiency of the Son, both the Father and the Son at work in the salvation of His people. We see the heart and the sufficiency. That is, those who are given to Jesus by the Father are then kept by Jesus. And those kept by him are raised by him. That's what he says. Verse 39, This is the will of him who sent me, that I shall lose nothing of all that he has given me, but raise it up on the last day. For this is the will of my Father, that anyone and everyone who looks on the Son and believes in him should have eternal life. And I will raise him up on the last day. Those who are given to Jesus are kept by him. And those who are kept by him will be raised by him. That's the glorious truth in Romans 8, too, is it not? That those who are called are justified. Those who are justified will be glorified, right? Those who, who have experienced the promise of the gospel and their faith in Jesus will have with all certainty be brought into glorification. You will be raised, he says. Notice the connection Jesus never casts out those who come to him. And all those who come to him will never thirst. Verse 35. And Jesus talks about himself as the bread of life. Notice the larger context. Jesus is, is feeding the 5,000, the, the, the group of people that have followed him. And they want more. And they begin to complain about Jesus because at least Israel in the wilderness had manna every day. And that Moses provided for them every day. Well, Jesus then says to them, well, I'm the bread of life. Whoever comes to me shall not hunger, and whoever believes in me shall never thirst. With a connection there from never thirsting and never hungering, for those who come to Jesus is the same as those who will never cast out for those to come to Jesus. That is, the Father gives the bread, the manna, Jesus, the bread of life. And the Father gives his people to his Son, and that those who come to Jesus as the bread of life will never thirst, will never hunger. And those who are given by the Father and come to the Son are never cast out. But what do we see that's happening here in Jesus' words? Well, first we see that Jesus is sufficient. He's sufficient. He's a sufficient harbor and refuge. Sufficient as our source of all spiritual nourishment. Nourishment. 
be sufficient as the source of our very joy in life. The manna would end at the end of the day. You couldn't collect it. In fact, we know biologically, after one meal is done, inevitably we'll have to eat another. Jesus says the sufficiency of his body as the bread of life means that you'll never have to hunger or thirst again. He's sufficient that you may come and come once and come always. You'll never be turned away for lack of nourishment or for want of sustenance. He's sufficient as our source of joy and life. He's saying here that there's no reason or no excuse for Jesus not to be exactly and completely what we need him to be. He's our source of life. But we see also the heart of Christ. First, we see the heart of Christ in his doing all of the Father's will in verse 38, 39, and 40. He does all that the Father has sent him to do. As the Father's will, so also the Son's. That is, it is Jesus' purpose and Jesus' delight to draw us in, to feed us, to nourish us, for us to come to him and to be embraced by him. It is the Father's will and it is the Son's will. The Son's will is in perfect unity and submission with the Father's. But secondly, the heart of Christ is displayed in his commitment to keep his people. And this is where that glorious truth that those who will be never cast out can delight in. He will never cast them out, meaning he will always welcome them and they will always be his. If we will always possess the work of Jesus as our high priest, it is because he first possesses us as his people, as the body of Christ. That is, he will not give you back to the Father. He will not let you out on your own. He will not let sin destroy you or Satan defeat you. No, he will not cast you out. As Christians, we often talk about the perseverance of the saints. Behind this doctrine, we really see the perseverance of Christ's heart. That is, his perseverance outranks our own. His ability to love us forever outmatches our own ability to love him only for a moment. So now we see the truth behind Psalm 63, verse 8. My soul clings to you. Your right hand upholds me. I love the two truths of that song. My soul clings to you. Your right hand upholds me. Yes, we may cling, and we ought to cling. But it is Christ's hand who uphold us. Our grasp may loosen, but his is ever firm. You may fail, but you will never ultimately fall from his grace. That's the perseverance of Christ's heart. Never cast out. Never abandoned. Never left outside. Never forgotten. Perhaps now you see why we are studying such things. Why we take a six-week break to study the heart of Christ. Christian, please know that this heart of Christ is for you. If you're not transformed by this truth, 
I question your conversion. Jesus draws you near and you can never be brought out of the presence and the love and the embrace of Jesus. It doesn't warm your heart as a Christian, as a wandering, failing, flopping Christian. Then you have no hope. Friends, turn to Jesus, whose promise is to never cast you out. We rightly extol Christ as the only hope of saving grace. But we have often in our own hearts deflected his mercies and assurance. We say to ourselves, well, of course he's for them, but he's not for me. We disbelieve the truth of the promise of Jesus. We disbelieve when he says, I will never cast you out. We think, well, there's an exclusion there for me. My sin, my circumstances, surely would cause Jesus to give a six feet social distancing measure. Surely Jesus has already cast me out because of how my life has been. No, we quite often deflect his mercy. We deflect the assurance of passages like this, and we say to ourselves, Jesus is for those, but not for me. He comes to us holding his nose, though he rather not. Friends, fallen, anxious sinners like you and me are limitless in their capacity to perceive reasons for Jesus to cast them out. We are factories of fresh resistances to Christ's love. And even when we run out of tangible reasons to be cast out, such as specific sins or failures, we tend to retain a vague sense that, given enough time, Jesus will finally grow tired of us and hold us at arm's length. Couldn't be further from the truth. Jesus here promises not simply to hold us at arm's length, but rather he will never grow tired of you. That your sins and your circumstances will not be the reason he would ever cast you out. Indeed, that all those who the Father brings to me will come to me, and all who come to me I will not cast out. He says, I will lose nothing of all that the Father has given me. The question here is not can we lose a salvation. The question here is not can Jesus cast us out. But can God's will go unfulfilled? Can Christ lose that which the Father has given him? If you say yes, you have a weak view of Jesus. And if you say no, you have a biblical view of Jesus. If you are in Christ, you cannot be lost. You cannot be lost to the world. You cannot be lost to your sin. You cannot be lost to the enemy. You cannot be lost. If you are in my hand, no one can pluck you out. That's the promise of Jesus. Jesus' words here might be the most sweetest and comforting promise of the Bible for miserable, weak, and anxious sinners. For the heart steeped in resistance to Christ's love. John Bunyan wrote a treatise on this verse, this one verse, as often Puritans do, takes one and writes a book on it, called Come and Welcome to Jesus. And in the King James Version, it says that Jesus will no wise, in no wise, cast you out. 
And he's speaking of this phrase, in no wise, or will never cast us out. This emphatic, will never cast us out. No, I will not ever cast you out. John Bunyan says this about that phrase. He says, this word cuts the throat of all objections to Christ's love. And it was dropped by the Lord Jesus for that very end. And to help the faith that is mixed with unbelief. And as it is, and as it were, the sum of all promises. Neither can any objection be made upon the unworthiness that you find in yourself that this promise will not assail. What does he mean? He means when Jesus says you will never be cast out, he means to shut the mouth of all those who would answer in an objection. Yes, but. Jesus, you don't know my sin. Yes, I do. But my sin isn't against other people, it's against you. All the more reason you should come to me. Jesus will never cast you out. And this promise here for you, Christian, that you would never be cast away from the love and embrace of Jesus that the Father has given to you, should silence all objections. Your anxiety should turn rather into assurance. Your fear into confidence. Stand firm in the embrace and the acceptance of Jesus that you cannot be cast out. Bunyan says it was dropped by the Lord for the very end to help the faith that is mixed with unbelief. That is, if you're here this morning as a Christian and you know, you believe this truth, and yet in your heart you still feel a distance because you think Christ won't accept you, or that he's keeping you at our arm's distance because of your sin, your sin from last week, your sin from yesterday, your sin from this morning, listen to the words of Jesus. All who come to me, I will never cast out. Your objection should stop. The question to ask yourself now is, what keeps me from coming to Jesus? If there's no objection that I can raise to which Jesus doesn't answer, come to me, and I will never cast you out. If there's no obstacle in your way that prevents you from being loved fully and completely by Jesus, what is stopping you from coming? The only thing required to enjoy Christ's love is to simply come. To ask him to take us in. No, he doesn't say whoever comes to me with sufficient contrition or repentance. Whoever comes to me feeling bad enough for their sin. Whoever comes to me with all their redoubled efforts. No, he says whoever comes to me I will never cast out. Our strength and our resolve is not part of the, of the formula of retaining his goodwill. Let's say that again. Your strength of resolve is not part of the formula for retaining his goodwill. Christian, loose yourself from trying to keep yourself in the grace of Jesus. He holds you and keeps you. You cannot be cast out. Now, Paul, of course, in Romans 6 will tell us that that's not a license to sin. That doesn't mean you can live however you want, because once you're saved, you're always saved, you can do whatever you want, and you're fine. Paul would say, you don't understand the gospel. You probably haven't come to Jesus in the way he's describing here. Now, when you come to Jesus, you come to Jesus as one who needs to never thirst and hunger again. 
You found in Jesus the perfect satisfaction for your pains, for your longings. You see in Jesus the answer for all the questions of the human heart and all the longings of the human soul. And therefore, your turning to sin is abnormal in the Christian life, not normative. So to those here this morning who are not Christians, I ask you this. What sins do you possess that Jesus is not greater than? Or for which sin do you believe Christ's blood did not atone? If you find yourself being brought to the Son by the leading of the Spirit, even now, your response is to go to Jesus. The Father has brought you to the Son. And all who come to the Son by the Father will never be cast out. All those who come to me will not be cast out. All who the Father brings to me will come to me. Ask yourself, what excuse in your life, what sin, what suffering, what dark recesses of your heart do you think God will not yet welcome you in the loving embrace of Jesus who has died to atone for that sin? Go to Jesus. To the Christian, what misery in your soul causes you to shrink back from Christ, who has offered all of himself for you and for your good? For what reason would your Savior's words here be only partly true? Do you, do you see how that, that seems to be the case for those who are professing Christians who believe in the gospel and yet come to Jesus only partly, who believe Jesus only embraces at an arm's distance, that we are believing Jesus' words here to be only partly true and not fully true? For what reason would your Savior's words here be only partly true and not fully true? Do not shrink back from Christ but lean into his embrace of you. That is, live your life in repentance. Live your life in the acknowledgement and contrition, yes, over your sin. But do not live it. Shrink back from the embrace that Jesus has died to secure. All those who come to me I will never cast out. Why then do you only come to Jesus so far? The same heart that led Christ to endure the cross for you will in no way cast you out today. Rather, for him to cast you out would undo the cross. Conversely, coming to Jesus fulfills the very purpose of the cross. For how can he who died for you turn you away? Brothers and sisters, have confidence that Christ's purpose to bring you to Christ for eternal life will not fail. Christ's beating heart for you will never grow faint. In order for a sinner who in Christ seeks satisfaction in life to be turned away from Jesus, Christ's own words must first fail. Jesus himself must be pulled back down from heaven and put back in the grave. As you're willing to live your Christian life as if that's a possibility, you're not living in the full potential the gospel has given you. 
No, Jesus is in heaven. He's at the right hand of the Father. And he's coming back, but not to be put back in the grave. And therefore, you can be assured that you're coming to Jesus in all of your mess, in all of your distress, in all of your sin, in all of your suffering, in all of your circumstances, will not be enough to bar you from Jesus' loving embrace. Please hear it. Christian or non-Christian, you come to Jesus by the Father, you cling to him with your soul, he doesn't turn you away. He doesn't cast you out. That's his heart. No, his death and his resurrection form the ground of our coming to him. And his heart therein is opened up for all those who are led there by the Father. As, Paul Bunyan, as John Bunyan says, come and welcome to Jesus Christ. Jesus, who was cut off from the Father that we might be brought near. That he himself was cast off in exile that we might not be cast off. He was crucified that you might become a child. His body was broken that we might receive then the bread of life. Friends, if you hunger and thirst, go to Jesus. If you feel now you're leading to Jesus by the Father and are being brought near to him now in the cross, in the power of his resurrection, cast yourself on him and his right hand will uphold you. We see the heart of Christ is for you. He will never cast you off. Would you pray with me? Father, what a deep and, frankly, insane truth that you would have fellowship with sinners and that we would be so secure in your love that no matter what we do, we would never be cast outside of it. Father, give us a heart to understand this. Help us to know that doesn't mean we can live lawlessly, that we can sin without consequence. May we not, Lord, prove ourselves to not truly understand and know the gospel, to have never come to Jesus in saving faith by our own sin. But, Lord, draw us, God, and give us a deeper and clearer understanding of what it means to be held in the loving embrace of Jesus. That we cannot be cast off. That we cannot be lost. Because you have brought us to Christ. And Christ, in his death and resurrection, keeps us. Lord, as that psalm we sing says, he will hold us fast. And Father, we ask for those who are here or listening to this this morning or later, who are not Christians, that is, who find themselves hearing this gospel and not yet believing it, that their heart would be so pricked and moved that they would cast themselves now at the mercy of Jesus, that they want the security and the permanency of your love on them, lest they face the wrath and judgment against their sin. They seek that in Christ. Would they see Jesus, your Son, as the bread of life, that they would never hunger nor thirst, and that they come to Jesus and would never be cast out, never be turned away. And know as we do this morning that his heart is for us always. We pray and ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.